Hello, everyone. This is Frank Riker. And this is Darren Sands. And this is a Slaughtered Lamb podcast. Darren, did you watch Coming to America just like I did? I did. In fact, I watched it last night with my wife. And, you know, my expectations weren't particularly high. I'd seen a couple of decent reviews. Uh, the rest weren't too good at all. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the original film. I remember going to see it as a, as a kid at school. And you know what? I thought it was okay. I I had fun despite being you know it being a bit sanitized. I had fun with those characters again. It's not laugh out loud hilarious or anything, but I, was, I thought it was quite sweet. Firmly rooted in the original film. I mean, mm-hmm. the callbacks that these these guys do to the original. Unless you're a big fan of the original, you're not going to get half the gags in this film. But I kind of liked it for that because I was kind of obsessed with it when I was younger. And you know, it's amazing how many of these people are still around. How many they still they managed to pull back. Yeah, I was uh, I was watching it with my wife uh, the other day, and uh, I liked it, it. It was like you said, it was it was cute. And it was a trip down memory lane that made me think about how funny the first one was. So, and when I saw the characters again, you know, it's that nostalgia high, isn't it? It is, yeah. It just makes you smile throughout, I think. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. I mean, it's certainly something you're probably not going to want to get on DVD unless you're really a diehard Eddie Murphy or Coming to America fan. Uh, It's it's a rainy day movie or just uh, if you're bored, you could just... I think if you put it on, you can just sit back and enjoy it and just say, okay, I came back satisfied. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And we know in, okay. in, in today's culture, we're not going to get anything like coming to America again. <laughs> 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 we're not going to get Probably not. Probably not. Um, before we start, I just want to say thank you to um, one of our supporters out there, a guy called Jeff Crenshaw, who's kind of gotten into our podcast recently he's been kind of working his way through the different episodes and he's been giving us some marvelous feedback um really generous feedback that's uh, kind of makes this all worthwhile um so thanks jeff um, frank and i have been really um taken back by your um, appreciation for what we've been doing so uh you know glad you're enjoying us thanks jeff really appreciate it and so this week we are going to look at slashers um, we thought about this kind of long and hard because, you know, there are all, all kinds of slasher movies out there. And, you know, we did, as we said when we set out to do this podcast, we didn't want to kind of concentrate on Freddie and Jason and Michael constantly and Chucky and Ghostface and Leatherface and Leprechaun and whoever else falls into those popular um, slasher categories. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen one Leprechaun film. I'll hold my hand up and say that. And I'm quite oh. proud of that. Fellow countryman of yours is crying. (laughs) Poor old Warwick. Uh, He's busy now with his TV quiz show in the UK, Tenor. Willow 2. Yeah, well, maybe. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we said, said, let's let's take a look at slashers. uh, And kind of, I guess, unconventional slasher films. Films that aren't falling into that category of the big six or big seven or whatever. Um, So we picked five each. We've watched them, all of them this week. And... Frank, do you want to kick off with your first movie? I'm going to go in order of year. So my first one is 1976's The Town That Dreaded Sundown, based on the sackhead mask-wearing killer known as the Phantom Killer from Texarkana, Arkansas, based on a true story. So I think that this slasher was the inspiration for Sackhead Jason. 
I mean, it would have to be. You know, there's nothing scarier than just having a sack overhead with these two little eyes looking at you, these beady eyes. And uh, you know, from what I from what I watched, uh, they, he killed people, but they think that he possibly assaulted and injured plenty more around that time. I remember one this first killing in the movie. Uh, he pulled a uh, guy from broken window of the car. Uh, where you could see the guy getting all cut up from the glass. And then he assaulted a woman by not killing her, but he nibbled on her breast. There's bite marks all over her. Also, he did some home invasions in this movie. And uh, I think he shot uh, Marianne from uh, <laughs> Gilligan's Island in the face. <laughs> um, poor Marianne. But one of the weirdest killings I ever seen in a slasher is, you know, Darren, Darren, let me know if you've seen this. He ties the knife, his knife, to a trombone and ties the girl to to a trombone. Or trombone. And he plays it while stabbing her, (laughs) you know, at the end of the... (laughs) At the end of the musical instrument, the little arm that goes in and out. He's stabbing her in the back. Well, <laughs> I've I've never seen this particular version. I've seen the remake. Now, the remake I saw, a few, in fact, I've got the remake somewhere. The remake I saw probably about 10 years ago now or something like that. Is that scene redone in the in the remake? I don't know, trombone? but I, I, I think the 76 version is actually, from the consensus of the um, horror community, it's actually better than the remake. The 76 version? Yeah. But, yeah, that, that was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. A guy actually taking his time by grabbing whatever is around him and finding out fig- different ways of assaulting people or uh, stabbing them by playing a musical instrument. Could you imagine, you know, throwing knives in a in a saxophone and <laughs> <laughs> someone playing a Kenny G and, <laughs> and the knives are being thrown out, you know? Um, what what tune was he playing while he was... Uh... I don't know, the Saints go marching in? I have no idea. <laughs> he was just... <laughs> he couldn't hold the tune. And the girl tied the tree was probably just like, kill me, you suck. <laughs> Uh, but some of the interesting things I found out is that uh, the poster was designed by Ralph uh, McQuarrie, who did the poster for E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Back oh, wow. to the Future, Star Wars. This was his first movie poster. And the first movie poster had the tagline that pissed everybody off in that area. And it said, in 1946, this man killed five people. Today, he still lurks the streets of Texarkana, Arkansas. Everyone was like, what the fuck? (laughs) So the guy was never caught, then? The guy was never caught. So fast forward to today, because this movie's supposed to take place in 1946. We see this movie opening over on the marquee. Town of Dreaded Sundown, based on a true story. And we see a foot of a guy limping into the theater. Well, the guy who got the guy who was limping got shot by a Texas Ranger, who's also the Phantom Killer. So that's kind of the little little hint that he's still around. This movie was actually was in the process of being sued so many times by the victims and their families that really nothing came out of it because they changed all the names and really some of the circumstances. Just as that people came out of the woodwork and saying, no, no, that's my sister. You're making fun of her. It's evasion of privacy. And every time they go to court, they're just like, no, it's just they changed everything. And plus, it's a public, uh, you know, it was a, a public occurrence. You really can't stop somebody from making a movie about it. But 
since 2003, this movie has played for free at one of the local local parks in that area. <laughs> really? Since 2003? <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I picked that killer just because I think it was the inspiration, or I should say I picked that slasher uh, because I think it was the inspiration not only for Jason and it's it's he's uh and because he was based on a real person and possibly still around but i don't think so the guy would no, be like 120 <laughs> if that was the case you know it's possible it's possible he gave 1946 what are we now 2021 he could be in his late 90s i guess did he stab somebody when he was 10 well, if he was if he was 1946 he, he could have been in his 20s you know yeah no <laughs> it it's possible <laughs> More than likely, he's probably dead, right? I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. When you uh, watch this movie, Darren, you'll maybe want to pick up the trombone and take less. <laughs> okay, so. Your uh, slasher. My first slasher is is quite a popular one, uh, and one that I'm really fond of because it came out in 1981. I always loved the, in the UK, there was a Thorny MI VHS cover, which was a guy on fire. And that's Miramax's first ever movie, The Burning. This summer, if you're planning to go camping, don't. If you're looking forward to midnight swims, don't. Sneak on back to the campsite. Get some matches. And if you're thinking about being with someone but no one can see you, don't. Because this summer, a legend of terror isn't just a campfire story anymore. They say he smashed his way through the bunk room door, just a mass of flames. I cried out, I will return, I will have my revenge. on whatever he can catch right now he's out there watching waiting what happened one summer five years ago is about to happen again and again and again Directed by a British director called Tony Malum, who also did um, a movie called Split Second with Rutger Hauer, which was kind of like a sort of alien predator ripoff back in the early 90s. It's the kind of the same old story again, but I just think this movie's done quite well. It's, it's a caretaker of a camp who is a bit of an irritant with everybody, and so they decide to scare him a- uh, one evening by putting a, a skull in his bedroom and waking him up. And what happens is, <laughs> unfortunately, the gentleman in question is a guy called Cropsy, and he sleeps next to gasoline, as we all do. Gotta it, stay warm. Yeah, yeah. They, the, the, the skull that they've put at the side of his bed has got candles in it and worms and bits of dirt and all that kind of stuff. And he wakes up and he sees it, knocks it over and sets fire to his bed and ends up torching his room and then we see him kind of exit the cabin that he lives in totally ablaze he's taken to a hospital and it's described as being the most horrific injuries that particular hospital's ever seen and eventually after a period of months he's he's released and he goes on a rampage he goes back to um 
He doesn't go back to the first camp, which I, I'm guessing that the, 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 the camp where he worked was closed down. He goes back to another camp where he goes on a rampage with a pair of garden shears. What I like about this film is, one, Tom Savini stuck two fingers up to, um, to Friday the 13th Part 2. Uh, to do this movie. The budget's a lot more than what um, uh, some of the Friday the 13th movies uh, had at the time. This was a 1.5 million budget back in 1981. Rick, Rick Wakeman does a great score for it, a great synth score, which I actually own the soundtrack album to. But yeah, so Savini decided to do this movie instead of Friday the 13th Part 2. Uh, the reason why he kind of left the Friday the 13th series was because... They he didn't like the idea of Jason being the killer because Jason's supposedly dead. Mm-hmm. So he, he kind of walked away from that and, and did the burning. Now, some of the effects work in the burning is top-notch. It really is. Some great practical effects. I think we've spoken before on our gore episode about the, um, the raft sequence where Cropsey jumps up out of the boat and kind of hacks about six or seven teens uh, to death all in one shot people losing their fingers people getting uh, the shears pushed down into their throat people's tops of their heads coming off it's carnage absolute carnage what also is quite special about the burning is it launched quite a few careers when you, the, the quality of the acting in the movie is surprisingly really good and that's one of the reasons why it kind of stands out to me more so than some of the Friday the 13th movies. You've got Jason, a young Jason Alexander in there with hair. Um, you've also got uh, Fisher Stevens, the guy from the Short Circuit films. He's the one that kind of holds his fingers up to the camera and all, all his fingers get chopped off in one go. And you've also got a really young Holly Hunter in there who... It takes a while to actually spot who she is in the movie. She's kind of just like... She's one of the the camp counsellors who's kind of in the background all the time and you don't really get much of a full-on view of her until later in the movie and she barely has anything to say as well. But, you know, she's in there. She's one of three actors who went on to some bigger and better things. So, yeah, I mean... I really dig this movie. Every time I watch it, I always kind of think that it was it was really overlooked at the time. It wasn't really a success. It didn't spawn a sequel. There was talk of it, I think, at one you know at one time. But it's also quite special because I think it's one of the first movies to have a final guy or two final guys. Alfred, who's uh, the kind of camp pervert, he's <laughs> he's constantly spying on the girls all the time. Yeah, pervert. <laughs> He is. That's, uh, that's, his, uh, that's his MO in this film. And Todd, who we find out later towards the end, was one of the original guys involved in the prank that, ver- that burnt Cropsey. It's not a movie where everybody gets wiped out. I, think, I don't think these two guys are the only survivors. I think there's quite a number of survivors at the end of this. But, you know, it's, it's got some great effects work. It's actually quite well directed. The Cropsey reveal, although Tom Savini himself's not very happy about it, because he said he only had three days to go. It's actually quite creepy. It do, although, you know, I think I think um, we've said before, or I think it was Dave McRae who said before, that Robert Englund's in, I think it was Freddy's Dead, look, the makeup looked like bubblegum. Part six, yeah. I think Cropsey's makeup in this looks like, you know when you've chewed bubblegum or chewing gum and you take it out of your mouth, it kind of his head kind of looks like that. <laughs> But the scene in the hospital at the start of the movie, where as the arm comes out behind the um, behind the curtains and grabs the orderly, the makeup on that arm there is just horrible. Uh, mm. the, the arm's burnt to a crisp. There's all flaky skin hanging off it. It's just black and crusted. 
yeah, it's uh, there's some good stuff in there. So hats off to Savini, who's always, always going to end up on one of my lists when we um, when we talk about slasher movies. But you are right. It's it, it, it's unsettling, and and Cropsey's a victim. And yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, people had their problems with him, but the guy surely didn't deserve to be burnt alive. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. You know, and I think that's one of those scenes. I think that really. You know, you and I can laugh at people's fingers getting, you know, severed by a garden shear, but burning someone while they're still around, especially back in the 80s where it was really realistic. Um, we're not talking about, you know, Michael Myers walking down in an astronaut suit, but, you know, it's, it is uh, it is unsettling. I think Cropsy is, is a good slasher. I think the burning mm. is should be. Isn't it also a video nasty? It was a nasty in this country. It kind of like it shouldn't have been, but I think just because of the cover of the movie with the guy on fire and the time that it was released, sort of probably about, I would say, 82 on video in the UK, um, it just automatically got bundled in with a load of other bad films or, or nasty films at the time and was taken off the shelf and banned. Um, it was it was withdrawn and then it was recut and then it was put back on the shelves uh, at a later date. But you know we now have, we've got the luxury of the uncut version now in the UK, so that's cool. I think with uh, with us um, with us in our list, um, I think a lot of these movies would be considered video nasties. <laughs> a lot of them, and uh, including the one I'm going to talk about next. Go for it. Um, 1981's The Prowler. A.K.A. Mm. Rosemary's Killer. That's what how we know it in the U.K., Rosemary's Killer. Well, Rosemary's Killer kills her in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> it's, it's it. It's over. Done with. Yeah. Where the town that dreaded sundown dealt with a slasher that just did it for fun. I think this slasher is actually did it for revenge in the way he was let down by, let's say, Rosemary. Um, so the story is is that it's coming to the end of World War II, and this uh, this bitch writes a note to her boyfriend saying, it's over, I've waited too long for you. I know you're trying to help free the world and save the world, but you know what? A girl's got needs. <laughs> <laughs> well, she doesn't write it like that. She actually writes a very nice break. Not in so many words, no. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? She deserves to die. <laughs> <laughs> You're not waiting for me. So, in this movie, I know the 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 characters are not really too memorable, except for the Prowler. And I remember seeing him, and he has his army fatigues. Um, he's got a helmet on. He's got this slicker that's covering his whole face. He's got his weapons are a pitchfork, a shotgun, and a knife, which is could be affixed to a gun for a bayonet. It's a uh, great look. He, oh, he it's a great look. look. Really, really creepy it, in that film. I think you have to agree with me, Darren. His look has to be in the dark and not brightly lit because no. when you see him in the light, he's all green. You know, when he's in, and the kills in this movie, I think are with the they are the work of Tom Savini and with the direction of Joseph Zito, uh, coming back uh, do another co- collaboration with uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Four um, and Invasion USA. <laughs> Invasion USA. <laughs> so. You got a couple pitchfork kills, you know, especially a girl in the shower. You got a kill with a bayonet that runs through the top of a guy's head. It goes all the way down through his chin. And the one thing that bothers me is that his eyes turn white. Yeah. 
after he gets stabbed. But and the one girl in the pool, she gets her throat cut, and they drain her <laughs> yeah. that pool. It's yeah. the these kills are very long for this slasher. And Savini yeah. loves his heads being blown off by shotguns too. <laughs> I like the the, the 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 way the killer when he kills with some of his weapons, he cleans them off like a good soldier. He takes care of his weapons. Um, but we know that this slasher is a guy that's brokenhearted. Mm. And he's going after all these women, uh, especially couples. And every time he kills one, he leaves a rose. I guess in honor of Rosemary. And the one thing that also bothered me about the movie, only though I love the killer, that, that shower kill about mid-beginning, that water was running for that whole time of that movie. <laughs> Yeah, when they pick up with it at the end, it's still going, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's still going. It's the cleanest corpse you'll ever see. Two corpses, and then all of a sudden, the um, the one of the corpses that get the uh, the bayonet through the head, uh, he comes alive. But it's the makeup effects that actually won me over for the slasher and the slasher look. I think the Prowler is an icon for uh, 80s slashers, even though it doesn't get a lot of credit. It's a great look. It's a great slasher film. And, and you know, it's one of those that kind of like the burning and like um, uh, My Bloody Valentine, um, Happy Birthday to Me, whichever one you want to pick. It's one of the more iconic kind of slashers of the um, of the 80s. And both revenge slashers. Mm. Something triggered them, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a note from your sweetheart, you know, saying, I can't wait. I need to get it. I need to get this. You know, I'm, I'm hard up for, you know, a man. You know, the men that stayed behind because they have flat feet. Uh, I'm going to date while you're out there saving the world. Uh, but can we still be friends? Fuck you. <laughs> That's basically what I would have said. Can we still be friends? <laughs> I do like the, in, the, the the way the movie starts, though, with all that kind of World War Two footage and everything. And, and, you know, it's kind of... I, it, to me, it's you know Joseph Zito was was a fairly you know he was a kind of okay director in the eighties, and you know it 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 has a little bit of if you can say this for a slasher film it has a certain amount of class whereas there are you know if you're going to compare it to something like Sleepaway Camp that has no class whatsoever. <laughs> it was that was just based on kills, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I have to give kudos out to uh, Prowler, a.k.a. Rosemary's Killer, for one last thing. Filmed in my home state of New Jersey. Oh, really? Cape May. Cape ah, May. Excellent. Short yeah, excellent. <laughs> Your next uh, memorable slasher. So my next memorable slasher was... I'm casting my mind back now to when I was probably around 22, 23. And I worked as a... Um, in a multiplex cinema as a projectionist in the mid-90s. And we used to get the movies in um, sort of midweek. And we, it was a kind of policy of our company to kind of watch through the movies before, um, before they went out to the public, just to, as a kind of quality control thing. So this one particular night, I, I, I make this movie up, um, plate it onto the projector, and, and I go downstairs and, and uh, the film starts. There's a title I've never heard of before, which was called Mute Witness. I, I started to watch it. At this point, I think it was just before Scream came along. So we, we hadn't had that resurgence of, you know, those kind of 90s sort of urban legends, Scream, I know what you did last summer kind of movies. 
Um, and I sat and watched this, and it, don't get me wrong, it's not a movie that you would lump in that bracket whatsoever. This is a kind of dirty, gritty, Eastern European horror film. Where, or you, you might not even call it a horror film, uh, a thriller you might call it. And it's based around a, a mute girl who is an effects artist, and she's working in a, on a Russian film set, which is in this apartment block. It's a kind of cheesy, crappy uh, horror film that she's working on. And this one particular day, she's, she's doing the effects work. The effects work doesn't go quite right, so she says, oh, OK, I'll stay late. Well, she doesn't say it because she can't speak, but she... she <laughs> She makes it known that she'll stay late and she'll get the effect right and then it'll be ready for the next day. While she's uh, in this in this building at night, she stumbles across a film set which she kind of watches. It's kind of like a, a porno that's being filmed. And what happens is this porno turns into a snuff film and she witnesses this. We then end up with a, a cat and mouse game of the, the guys that made the, the snuff movie trying to get her and trying to silence her. <laughs> If you can silence a mute person, um, <laughs> got a lot of oxymorons here. Yeah, there is, isn't there? There isn't there. Um, so she, so they set about her with all kind of you know with with bloody bolt cuts and knives and there's big chases that are involved after that. But she ends up going to the police. She goes to the police and the filmmakers on the set convince the police that what she saw was an effect that was happening and that the girl isn't dead. However, they don't produce the girl at all. So then it comes to light that the movie that's been made is part of a Russian mafia money-making racket. And the, the, the big boss of the Russian mafia is actually Alec Guinness from Star Wars. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan himself. Now, the great story behind this is that the director, a guy called Anthony Waller, he approached Alec Guinness 10 years before and said, I want to make a movie with you. And Alec Guinness said, well, look, I'm free. I'm not free for the next 18 months. I'm fully booked up. He said, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> I've heard this. Continue, please. It's great. Yeah, this is a great story. This is around about 1985. He says, what are you doing tomorrow? And Alec Guinness said, well, nothing. He said, well, let me come by with my crew and I'll get what I need from you. So he goes to visit him in Germany, films a couple of, I don't know, there must have been like a minute or two minute sequences, and that's it, he's done. And it then took him ten years to actually get his full movie to fruition. <laughs> Alex must have been intrigued, right? Yeah, I think Alex, he almost... Yeah. Did, I, think, I, I think he... Maybe he died before it came out or something like that. It's one of his last films, if not his last film. So, yeah, so... so that's it. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's kind of odd that the, the most of the cat and mouse stuff that you would associate with a slasher film comes within the first half of the movie, and then the second half of the movie is her and her sister and her sister's boyfriend trying to kind of unravel what's happened and, and, and get to the bottom of it all. It's an interesting film. It is pretty violent in parts, but there are at least two or three set pieces which are straight out of the slasher how-to book, if you like. And so that's why it, it lands on my list. I haven't seen it for a few years. I actually managed to find it on YouTube the other day, but it was <laughs> it was in fucking Russian. So um, I did watch it in Russian the other day. So the, the review that I'm piecing together is, to, is, is as good as my Russian is, I think. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's a worthy watch. It's a worthy watch. The director, Anthony Waller, um, he 
got a lot of acclaim for this for this movie. A lot of people were kind of like, "Great, you know, this is some guy. This, this guy's trying to reinvent the horror genre." just what we need right now and he actually got the gig of an american werewolf in paris off the back of this and we've never heard of him since yeah poor guy yeah poor guy i when i saw this movie because i remember you telling me this is what we're gonna do and i watched it it made me think of 1993's blink Mm. about the blind violinist yes and who uh didn't witness a murder but she heard it and then the murder comes back into her house or apartment takes a picture of her while she's in the tub but she can't she can't see it yeah, yeah. because of the flashing because that's what that, it reminded me of that all these have these have these slashers take advantage of somebody's you know either let's say a disability or you know something like that that prevents them from coming forward it's it's actually scary i mean just imagine uh, if you can't hear anything in your house and someone robbed you. I mean, it's 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 a scary thought. It is, and it, it kind of segues into my next film as well. But I'll um, I'll let you I'll let you let us know what what's next on yours. Okay. So uh, my my third one is also on the video nasty list. Uh, it's amazing. 1982's Pieces. Warning: What you will see in the movie Pieces cannot be revealed. Cannot be described cannot even be imagined and you don't have to go to texas for a chainsaw massacre pieces it's exactly what you think it is pieces absolutely no one under 17 will be admitted a spanish-backed movie um, about a 10 year old sexually repressed boy uh, <laughs> who's in the beginning, you know, it looks like this sweet, innocent, you know, charming young lad. And his mother's watching him, you know, playing with something. And she's happy that he's there building a nudie puzzle. I mean, there's a lot worse things that could happen with this kid. I mean, he could be, you know, killing mice, you know, in his room. But no, he's he's in love with his nudie puzzle. Were you watching this thinking it was semi-biographical? Yes. <laughs> That's me. lawsuits in the works so the mother's very upset you know of course not a 10 year old boy is not supposed to be doing this stuff ladies and gentlemen if your kid wants to explore something let him explore because you know what could happen he could chop you up with an axe for taking away something that he doesn't that he loves so much this this nudie puzzle was his favorite thing (laughs) this little boy's chopping up his mom which is a fantastic opening to a slasher. It's almost like it is almost like Michael Myers discovering a six-year-old child, right? Killed his sister. Yeah, you don't think yeah. it, but this boy is so smart that he makes it believe he was murdered. And he was hiding. Fast forward a couple years later, what, like forty years, maybe, Darren? Something I think like it's that. something like that. Yeah. So we have this killer going around with a chainsaw on this college campus, taking off different pieces of these co-ed women and building his own perfect woman sewing her up and everything a bit like weird science um okay (laughs) uh really weird science (laughs) really weird science (laughs) the one thing that i don't like about this movie though is this guy named kendall who's this really nerdy and geeky you know frat guy he gets laid a lot and he seems to be uh Is, is that why you don't like him yes 
uh, <laughs> to the to the point where he's in, in bad because this is this movie is filmed with some Spanish dialogue where a woman in bad dubbing says, "Oh, Kendall, come back to bed. I promise to be quiet." <laughs> I've never heard a woman say that to me ever. <laughs> oh my god! But this movie is is pure slasher with a chainsaw, pure you know exploitation of the of the female body, and uh, you know, and at the end, you know, even a pair of genitals get ripped off, you know, and good for Kendall because it's his. So I feel better with his. It's a it's a messy film. It is a messy film. Um, I had the fortune of taking the the guy that now owns the rights to the film. This is in the line of work that I do um, to a vault to actual to acquire, vault to a vault to acquire a thirty five millimeter print of pieces. This would have been back in in two thousand and two, two thousand and three, and he bought the rights to the movie, and he heard that there was uh, a, a really good thirty five mil copy of the film in this vault, and I took him there. And we sat down and we watched it on like a mini viewer. And I'd never seen the film at this particular point. But this person, this person's a really kind of um, quite well-known person in the, in, the, in the film industry. He's an Oscar winner. And he, um, he sat through the film and talked me through it as we watched it on the screen. He was such an expert on it. Uh, and he now owns the rights to it and releases all the Blu-rays and DVDs that you see out there. Was he the 10-year-old boy? <laughs> No, we've, we've already established that was you. Oh, that was you. <laughs> the last two movies I talked about, you know, were thrill kills, breaking heart kills. This one is basically, you know, this is a sexual killing. What would happen if his mother didn't stop him and just talked out to him instead of scolding him? He made it would have became different. But it also is because his father wasn't around a lot because we kind of get that indication throughout the movie that he never had the father. Yeah. He was always yeah. gone. Um, but, yeah, you see your son... You know, looking at dad's old porn magazines, don't stop him. <laughs> isn't it? There's a reveal, isn't there, of the, the the woman that he's created as well towards the end? Yeah, think, she comes messy, alive, and she yeah. yeah, she comes alive and rips Kendall's genitals right off. Yeah, you won't yeah. be needing them anymore. Uh, but yeah, but I think uh, I think it's a memorable slasher because it's one of those sleepy movies that nobody ever looks for, and then it just made a reoccurrence. You know, recently, and when people see the beginning, they're like, "Holy shit!" Because that was me too, ten year old with his axe killing his mother, <laughs> taking away his puzzle. Okay, so next on my list is I'm going to segue from the last film that I did, which was um, Mute Witness, into Hush, one of Mike Flanagan's um, movies that uh, Bloomhouse, I think, produced it. Mike Flanagan wrote this with his wife Kate Siegel, who the two of them are married, and and. And she plays the lead in the movie. She plays a a deaf lady who's, who's contracted meningitis when she was young, and consequently she can't speak either. And uh, she's a horror writer, and she lives out in a log cabin in the woods, as you do when you're a horror writer. She's just finished her first book. She's lent it to a friend. Her friend brings it back, says, I loved it, blah, blah, blah. Later that evening, her friend is chased back to the log cabin by a masked killer um the masked killer kills her friend against the wood cabin doors and because our heroine is mute deaf she can't hear what's going on and in a a, a really kind of strange 
um, and quite creepy moment in the film. The killer acquires her mobile phone and takes a picture of her sitting in her house and emails it to her, which is kind of creepy when she's sat in her lounge and she opens up her email and she realizes that somebody is watching her. So the movie is then just, there's no kind of motive for what's going on, for why this guy's killing her. It's obviously Mike Flanagan was, I think at the time, he wanted the first half hour of this film to play out like the, uh, almost like Halloween, this kind of ghostly white face appearing in windows and the corner of the frame. And it is, it's just an 80 minute cat and mouse chase between this woman and this maniac who's, who's, who's just out together in, in the middle of the woods. There's a moment as well halfway through where he unmasks himself, which, not, which we don't see very often in these films. I guess it eases things up a little because they're the only two real characters in the film. Just having one masked and one unmasked, it's at odds with each other for such a long period of time, so he unmasks himself. And we also get a scene where her boyfriend turns up at the house. And so the the killer then pretends that he's a cop investigating something and he needs to be let into the house. Now, it all goes wrong, the boyfriend gets killed, and then we just end up starting again with the two of them chasing each other around the house. It's a good film. It's a creepy little, um, a creepy little slasher film. I will call it a slasher. It's most definitely a slasher. Again, as I mentioned, Halloween before having no motive and having no driving force as to why this guy is doing what he's doing makes it all that more creepier. I think. And I noticed one thing um, about your list is that dealing with a lot of people with disabilities. <laughs> hey, I don't discriminate. Well, mine deals with perverts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but you but you are right it's it's it is the cat and mouse game it's and that white mask is creepy isn't it it is it, creepy i just brought the mask up just to refresh my memory and uh he d- that mask does have a slight smile to it yeah a yeah. little a slight one but you can see his eyes hmm. so i think it makes it scary er because you know that there's a human behind there doing all this and how yeah, and humans are capable how capable of doing such such terrible things to each other where when we saw Michael we all believe Michael Myers should not his eyes should not be seen it should be black in there because he's empty yeah. of emotion and we don't know yeah. why he does this same thing with Hush but, it, but with in, in Hush's it's, it's those eyes are even creepy behind that mask they are. And, and I guess another reason why he has to take it off is because he has to speak to the boyfriend when the boyfriend comes to the house. You know, he, he wants to get in there to get to her so that she doesn't tell the boyfriend who it is and what's been going on. So, yeah, so he can't do that from behind a mask. So it's another reason why it has to come off. Yeah, I actually think, you know, Hush should be on here. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a slasher of course it's interesting and it, and it was kind of like you know mike flanagan really released three movies in in that particular year which were hush um ouija um the origin of evil and another film which i've yet to see called before i wake um but he has gone on to do the haunting of bly manor and and the, the haunting of hill house was it Yes. And also and more, Do- Dr. Sleep. More famously, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, Which people is a good are movie. raving about. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen the yeah. director's cut, but I've seen... I mean, it's, it's already a two-hour movie without the cut. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's actually a, a good a good sequel. Mm, to, absolutely. An already, to an already well-known you know, psychological thriller. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I actually think yeah, I think you picked a, a good slasher. Of, uh, and did did you know Hush has been remade twice since it came out yes. in 2016? Yes, uh, that's why when I <laughs> oh my god, you know. But if you're gonna watch Hush, you got to make sure it is the 16 version, like Darren just said. You have to. That's the first one. Not um, not one of the two um, Indian versions <laughs> that are out there. Didn't Rob Zombie make Hush? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Deep Purple did. <laughs> so my next one, and I think this is one of your favorite movies and one of your favorite actors, is 1986's The Hitcher. Heading west on the long, lonely highway, only his dreams for company, until... My mother told me never to do this. Before many miles, he'll wish he'd taken his mom's advice. When Jim Halsey let the hitcher into his car, he opened the doors of hell. What do you want? I want you to stop me. Once you've met the Hitcher, you'll never pick up another. This morning, this guy tried to kill me. He's been following me ever since. Howard, C. Thomas Howell, and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Darren and I would talked about Rucker on a lot of other episodes, and uh, we thought that everything he's done has been gold. Uh, yeah, he's, such a he's, great actor. And I was um, gutted when you picked this movie because I, I so wanted to do it myself. But um, well, you yeah. can chat in. You know, don't don't be offended. It's okay. So, Darren, what does this movie deal with? It's just basically a guy taking a car. You know, it's called a you know a, a drive a drive and ride, taking cars from back to forth between states. You know, getting a little extra cash, and he picks up a guy uh, who's called John Ryder. And what does John Ryder say to this young kid? You know, John Ryder being played by Rucker Howard. Uh, he says, "Oh, I'm going to kill you." <laughs> he goes. It basically said, you know, the the guy that passed you, you know, I was with him too. I cut his legs off. I cut his arms off. I cut his head off. And I'm going to do the same to you. <laughs> and my, my favorite line is when he just leans in and goes, do you know how much blood comes out of an eyeball when it's punctured? See, <laughs> Thomas Howell's character, his name's Halsey, uh, Jim Halsey. And... They're stopping at that construction site in the beginning, and he grabs his crotch, and he says, we're just passing through, and blew the construction guy a kiss. And the the construction guy goes, all right, sweethearts, the road is clear. Uh, (laughs) But we don't know why John Ryder's doing this. That seems to be the whole, you know, trying to figure him out throughout the whole movie. 
Do you think John Ryder wants to die? And he's looking for the right person to do it. No, I don't, I don't think he wants to die. I think he enjoys what he's doing. It's another cat and mouse thriller, isn't it? He's um, been doing it for years, it seems like, going up and down the desert highway, picking yeah, people off. Yeah. Even a family I, with kids. Yeah, I don't think he wants to die at all. I just think that he just gets off on doing what he's doing. And I, and I think, again, like with Hush, like with Halloween, it's best that we don't know the reasons why he's doing it. It makes it all the more, um, all the more scary. So some of the theories that people are saying about John Ryder is that he was a military guy because he's able to escape and able to load a gun pretty quick, know what he's doing, which is possible from what you can tell about his character. And he's suffering from depression. That's another one. <laughs> they kind of enjoy his killing. I don't know why you'd be depressed. <laughs> but he doesn't have the ability to kill himself. He doesn't have that in him, so he's looking for that person that can actually do it. Which you could probably say, you know, could be Howell's character, Jim Halsey, because yeah, he's able I to guess, escape. I guess you're right to some extent, because there is, you know, in the final showdown, he is egging him on to kill him, isn't he? He's or shouting maybe, at him, come on! Or does he like playing with this guy? Because the good thing about, the, the, the best thing about this movie is that everyone thinks this young kid is the killer. Everyone. And... Anytime he gets arrested, is in the back of the car saying, you know, it wasn't me, it's a different guy. John Ryder comes in, basically kills everyone so he can come and escape. And remember when that helicopter was chasing him and John Ryder's on the side with another car and he shoots the helicopter down just to help him get away? Uh, I think he enjoys watching this kid get blamed. Yeah. We've also got like a kind of Terminator or Halloween style off-camera destruction of a police station as well, haven't we? The, the, yeah. The, the canine dogs are eating the cops. Yeah. They <laughs> <laughs> because they're dead. That's pretty creepy. But I think what you should what you should mention is the truck stop scene because that's probably oh. one of the most so, iconic moments in 80s horror history, I think. Yeah. So Jason uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character's name's Nash. This young man met her in a restaurant finally getting away from John Ryder and knew that he has taken a liking to her and uses her for his own cat and mouse game as a pawn. So as this guy's taking a shower, what does Rucker Howard do? He sleeps next to her in the bed. <laughs> He's been sl- sitting in that hotel room the whole time watching him talk and basically kidnaps her. So the next time we see her, she's tied to two trucks and Rucker Howard, uh, John Ryder, is on is driving and his foot is on the brake and the clutch. And if he lets go, he's going to split her in half. Yeah. Unless somebody stops him. So James tries to stop him, but he can't. He can't shoot him. So he's like, ah, you're a fucking disappointment. And then he lets go of the clutch and she splits in half. Yeah. You don't see it on Horrible screen, secret. but you can just... You can you hear can, it. You can hear it and you could see her getting you know, pulled apart part a little bit in the beginning because her wrists are getting bloody uh i I was actually talking about the that's a great scene but i was actually referring to the the chips you can talk about the chips french fries (laughs) (laughs) the finger food the finger food (laughs) this is this before or after the the police station scene i can't remember that it's a few years since i've seen it it's basically uh before he's in a diner with jennifer jason lee and he's eating a, a, a kind of punnet full of uh, french fries and 
she disappears. I think she goes to the bathroom and he carries on eating them. And you can see he's deep in thought. And slowly he's he's eating these french fries, lifting them up to his lips one after the other and enjoying them with a big sort of kind of semi-grin on his face because they taste so good. And slowly he picks up this french fry, which is actually somebody's fucking finger. <laughs> And puts it in his mouth and takes a chomp out of it and then realises and just spits it. Doesn't he run out and throw up or something? Yeah, yeah. he runs out and throws up. And, uh, you know, throughout this whole time, you know, they meet on multiple occasions. Yeah. And he gives him the bullets for the gun. Here you go. You know, like, come on. You kill me. Take it. Take it. Take all your frustration out on me. I'm so, I'm sad that this movie didn't get enough credit. Everybody hated it, of course. But also, I don't think the remake uh, with Sean Bean did it justice. Or oh, the sequel as well. They did a sequel oh, to it. Yeah, Fucking terrible Busey. sequel. Jake, it's, it was still C. Thomas Howell, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, yeah, an older um, version. Just, Jesus yeah. Christ. That wasn't no, very just, but good at all, was it? I, no, I put John Ryder as a slasher because he does have that sl- slasher elements. You know, he likes the cat and mouse. He's not afraid to kill. Um, he's not afraid about himself. And he's methodical. And I yeah, think if, if if nobody has this on DVD, they should get it. Or Blu-ray, they should get it. Uh, because I think, you know, ever since he passed, looking back at some of his films, Rucker did awesome work. I and mean, people would know him basically from Blade Runner. And that shouldn't I, be know, just known I, for that. I think Hitcher was the first time that I really... Because I was never a big Blade Runner fan. I think the Hitcher was, was certainly the um, the film that, you know alerted me to him I think and then I went back and looked at things like Flesh and Blood and then not long after The Hitcher we had um, oh what was the film called Wanted Dead or Alive mm-hmm. the one where he was the bounty hunter tracking down the terrorist which was Gene Simmons <laughs> and then you know Hobo with a Shotgun Hobo with a Shotgun Blind Fury I know, big oh I love that. Blind Fury yeah and uh, also you know people would remember him from uh, the Batman movies as uh, I guess the operating officer for Batman Begins? What? Yeah, Wayne Enterprises, wasn't he? Yeah. Working didn't you that. get the memo? Yeah, but, but sadly pick- died a year or so ago, didn't he? Yeah, not, not, he's not, not too long ago, but um, yeah, I, I had to put him on here just because of the quality of what that character does to his victims. Excellent choice, excellent choice. Okay, so I'm going to choose... And again, debatable as to whether it's a slasher. I think it's more because it has a lot of slasher tropes in there. And this is a 2011 movie which was released in 2013. It sat on the shelf and did festivals for a long time before it actually saw the light of day. And that's Adam Wingard's You're Next, which um, I actually watched again today and and thoroughly enjoyed. I think it's got some great moments. It's fun. It's fun. It is fun. It is fun. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of Ready or Not. I don't know if you've seen that recently. Very similar to that. Um, Adam Wingard, of course, who directed um, The Guest and Death Note. And he's just directed uh, Godzilla v. Kong, which is coming out in a few weeks' time. 
Um, this is one of his early films. It was shot for a million dollar budget and made twenty six million in return. So that's quite a good um, mm-hmm. that's quite a good effort. And basically, it con- it concerns a family who they're they're going to celebrate their parents' anniversary, and all the kind of family and extended family are invited to a dinner party. And then partway through the dinner party, a crossbow bolt comes through the through the window and takes out one of the members of the family. Now that particular shot, that scene is incredibly eerie because we hear it and we hear something smash and the camera's not on the victim. The victim's in the background. You can just see him slightly. The victim's actually Ty West, who um, directed House of the Devil and The Innkeepers. A couple of great horror films there that you should check out if you haven't seen them. But yeah, the, the, he, sl- he slowly kind of stumbles into frame, swaying from side to side with a crossbow bolt through his head and collapses on the floor. And then for the next kind of two or three minutes, there's absolute fucking mayhem in the room as more and more crossbow bolts come through and they realise that they're in the middle of some sort of home invasion. Mm -hmm. And members of the family are dropping down on the floor one by one and the perpetrators start to move towards the house and we realise that there is a, a fox, a lamb and a tiger. All these guys are all masked. And it's at this point onwards that we start to realise what the the MO is for all of this. And we find out that um, that one of the sons of the family has hired three contract killers to, to kill off the rest of the family so him and his wife can recoup all the inheritance. But he forgot about his sister, played by uh, Sharni Vinson, and the character's called Erin, who does everything in her power to fight back in this movie. She's empowered, kind of the fi- really empowered. Yeah, yeah, she's kind of she's she's the final girl and she's been pursued by these three contract killers, one as I said before dressed as a fox, a lamb and a tiger. They've got axes, they've got machetes, they've got anything within their within their reach to to try and get her. It, it I just at the time I thought this guy there were parts of Carpenter that I could spot throughout this film, particularly the way he framed his movies, and also uh, the score as well. It's got an ele- a fantastic electronic synth score throughout the movie. And then as you watch more of his films, particularly The Guest, you, you realise that Adam Wingard's a huge Carpenter fan, because he even starts to use the, the Alberta uh, Carpenter font in that movie. It's a really dark movie. It's kind of, I would say, it's a black comedy of sorts. I agree, yeah. And towards the end, not everything is as seems. Uh, I'll not, I'll not spoil the ending, but um, it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen it. If you, if you like your kills gory and 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 in your face and and kind of gut wrenching in some of them, because it's all members of the family that are being killed all at once. The parents are there. I think the mum's played by Barbara Crampton, mm-hmm. who we all know from um, from Reanimator. Um, yeah, check it out. It's a great film. I agree with you. And you know what? When a character brings out some emotion for you, like the brother is a piece of shit, isn't he? I mean, it's just, he is. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a dick, and you really want him to die in this movie. Um, just like Darren said, I'm not going to spoil it as well. Um, but the mask, oh, how he dies, oh, how he dies yeah, is just. Yeah. A, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to. I mean, we might as well say. We might as well say. I just. I was. I was. It was the bits that go it. on from that. <laughs> <laughs> he basically he dies it. death by food blender <laughs> on the top of his fucking head, <laughs> plugged in and turned on. 
There's some great goal sequences. You know, but you know, I, I like those those slasher movies where the victim, you know, comes back kind of like a Nancy Thompson. But I wouldn't even put it that. I like it when they go as far as maiming their uh, their attackees or attackers, I should say. Yeah, it's like if you're going to do something to me, I'm going to do something ten times worse to you. <laughs> and the and she's the smart. Masks, she's really yeah, smart. This yeah, yeah. And, and the masks are iconic now, aren't they? Kind of like you know, yeah. like the purge masks and the uh, yeah, yeah. You know the the baby from you know Happy Death Day. Uh, it's I see people all the time wear those masks. Yeah, you know, in yeah. pictures and everything like that. Uh, who's the slasher really in this movie, though? I think the three contract killers are. They've all got slasher tropes. They're not necessarily iconic slashers themselves, but they all fo- they all follow that kind of formula of how a slasher looks, acts, attacks, um, and dies. Um, on screen, and that's that's what, like I said, it's more of a home invasion thriller, but with slasher tropes. You know, home invasion thrillers, and my final one's a home invasion thriller, but with a slasher, more so than this. I, I agree that the, all three of them are, while the brother could be the methodical slasher, right? Putting everything <laughs> yeah, together. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Felix and Z, that's him and his wife. Um, yeah, <laughs> they're, 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 um, they, they really do go out in style, these two. Yeah, and well-deserved. Yeah. Uh, My final slasher comes from a series of movies, and that is a character by the name of Matt Cordell. I mentioned him briefly on um, our rapid fire we did last time uh, for the Maniac Cop series, played by the great chin himself, Robert Zadar, Tango and Cash and Samurai Cop and other, you know, cheesy movies. I really love this character, even as a kid growing up. Uh, where even part two of the series is is more gore, uh, more killing, uh, more action. Seeing this slasher, who's a, a former cop, who's been tried wrongfully uh, because he's basically a good cop that got people to admit to their guilt, and he was deep involved in you know politics and corruption where he was getting too close um, for comfort for the politicians and these bigwigs. And they framed him. And so he's a vengeful person. He's not... I don't want to consider him a ghost, would you? He's, he's actually alive. He's actually human. Um, just like Michael. You know, he's, he's human. But his I guess his vengefulness and his spirit makes him keep going to make sure anyone... Or basically just cops. Cops in his way are killed. Um, he does start to look a bit like a zombie, though, as he goes on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, you know that's just, you know he doesn't have that great cop pension plan or dental or anything like that anymore. <laughs> you know those, those fringe Imagine benefits, the, the, the dental bill for that guy. Ooh, wow, destructive surgery. <laughs> um, but I remember him, you know, as a kid. One of the girls uh, had a chainsaw, was going after him, but he just grabbed it with his bare hand. <laughs> just held yeah. on to it and broke her neck. Uh, Bruce Campbell, the second one, you know, it's funny because Bruce Campbell was pretty much of a, I guess, a cult icon during this time in the mid '80s and even late '80s. He doesn't show up until like the last half of the first movie and dies in the first half of the second. I was going to say, doesn't he die in Maniac Cop too? Really quick, yeah, really yeah. quick. I, I think I, I, Matt Cordell should be on my list just for me personally because he is that that slasher. 
he presents that slasher criteria that we that we mentioned methodical has a purpose and he's he's out to bring everything down around them yeah, uh, yeah no, just to get choice. his revenge and uh, uh and especially being a, a maniac cop you know kind of like uh there was another movie uh, it, you know you're not supposed to have like killer fireman you know or something like that these are people that are supposed to help you he's actually in this in this movie too doing two things bringing you know the the system down but also making people not trust the police it sounds pretty pretty current today exactly <laughs> but yeah so my final one is Mac Cordell from the Maniac Cop series good choice good choice and um, my final one and the more I watch this film the more I it's slowly becoming my favorite horror film of all time it's never going to top Halloween but this final movie of mine is a French film now I don't want everybody to turn off when I say that because I've tried to recommend this film to so many people and once they find out that it's dubbed or subtitled they they just switch off straight away like Hush there's hardly any dialogue in this film whatsoever and it's 2007's Inside now I think the French title was Les Interiors or something like that did you like my French accent there? Suck me blue. And it has quite a credible French cast, um, particularly the the slasher in it. The the main antagonist um, is played by Beatrice Dahl, who's a big French actress who was in um, things like Betty Blue. It start, the movie starts where um, we get the inside shot of a inside a woman's womb of a baby, a baby that's probably due very soon. And we hear a, a, a car crash happen, and you see the baby all of a sudden gets struck and blood fills the womb. We then cut to a car that's kind of mangled with a lady inside the car who's pregnant, and she's still alive, barely. Her husband uh, has irreparable damage. He's dead. He, he looks a right mess at the side of her. But she survives. I think she's around about um, four months pregnant. And we fast forward then to um, the night, uh, Christmas Eve. And she's living at home alone. She's just had a, 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 an examination. That the, the conclusion of that was that she's going to be admitted to hospital the next morning to induce the baby. And while she's at home alone, a shadowy figure appears in her house. Um, a, 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 a tall woman. Um, who would who is known in the movie just as the woman or la femme who starts to stalk her in her own house um we get this this kind of huge kind of fight sequence with la femme and the pregnant woman and it's just chaos it's absolute chaos there's there's she's throwing uh, knives at her there's, there's scissors there's all sorts going and they have a huge fight in the bathroom the girl is then locked in the bathroom by herself and her boss knocks at the door, comes in the house, and it's not long before the boss is murdered by the um, by by the, the 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 woman in black. I say the woman in black; she's wearing a long black dress. The next sequence is when her mum turns up at the house. Now, for me, this is one of the most horrific sequences, and it reminded me of a scene in The Descent. The woman recognizes that the the woman in black is not welcome there and she goes upstairs to find her daughter and she opens the bathroom door but her daughter's waiting for her and the daughter stabs her own mother in the face kills her own mother by accident because she Mm -hmm. thinks it's the woman in black coming through 
what we get then is we get the next the next kind of hour is just a relentless fight one-on-one between these two women throughout the house which ends up with people getting stabbed people getting uh there's one scene where the woman's beaten up so badly um a waters break at one point she's beaten up so badly that she has to perform a tracheotomy on herself by Mm -hmm. sticking scissors into a hole making a hole in her neck with with scissors and there's then people getting blowtorched in the face it is all out carnage there's some terrific effects work in this film of these two women fighting non-stop throughout this house and I'm not going to reveal why the woman's doing what she's doing but the payoff at the end is something that you you really you're hard pushed to keep your eyes on the screen because it's it's so disgusting <laughs> the way it goes and it was at the time when there was a, a spate of French horror in the uh, sort of mid 2000s like Switchblade Romance like Martyrs uh, there was another one as well can't remember the title of it um, but yeah, the French really went for it in the mid two thousands with some not of for the faded heart. No, not at all, not at all. But you know, the the mood within this uh, within this I don't want to say mood and atmosphere because everybody's saying that now. But the mood within this uh, ninety minute movie of these two people in this house frantically trying to kill each other is is so edgy. It disgusts you. It delights you. It just absolutely defines horror for me mm-hmm. and um the remake that came out about five or six years later uh, hollywood did a remake of it. it was absolute garbage it was awful it just didn't have any of the um the things that made the original so special just like and, the uh, original martyrs yeah exactly yeah the martyr the martyrs remake was terrible as well I, I will always stick with the 2007 original and i urge anybody who loves scary gory horror to check 2007's inside out because you'll thank me for it afterwards it's a roller coaster of a movie with some of the some of the best choreography fight sequences um gore and tension that you're ever going to get in a in a a horror film check it out i i agree when darren put me onto this movie when i was watching it your eyes can't leave the screen because not for the two women, but for the innocence that's in this movie. You don't you don't think about the two girls. You're thinking about that baby constantly. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You know, mm. who's, who's involved in a way. I sh- I'm going to say that. Involved. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say why and, and the outcome of it. Because it just, that's, that's the ending of the movie. Uh, but yeah, uh, if this woman really... And you know what? And this... This slasher, because that's what she is, it's that far-fetched from certain, you know, news articles I, I've read or, or kind of, you know, stuff like this has happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know? It's, uh, you know, it's 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 just one of those movies that's, it's not, you know, fantastical in any way. It's not a ghost story. It's an all-out horror, thriller horror cat and mouse whatever you want to call it it's it could happen and actually you know what if if anyone wants to look it up uh, it actually did happen here in the states not not to this goriest effect uh, of course but uh, there was there was a uh, let's just say there was an occurrence where this woman wanted this person's baby pretty bad and did stuff to the woman in order to get this baby I'm just gonna leave it at that 
I'm just that, that's it. But uh, yeah, it's an actual real life thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think we we pretty much touched on every type of slasher <laughs> there is. <laughs> we got perverts. We got the disabled. Um, <laughs> single moms. Single moms. <laughs> And there's not a father in sight in any one of these movies. <laughs> I think it's good, isn't it? Here. Yeah. There was a few honorable mentions that I had as well. I watched a few other films this week that I was considering putting in this list. And one of them, which was recommended to me by Jason Knight, which I'd never seen before, and he, he rates highly, which is Visiting Hours. Mm-hmm. Now, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was a really well-made film. It didn't strike me as being a slasher at all. It, it was more like a thriller. And there was some really odd casting in the film, like William Shatner playing the concerned boyfriend. (laughs) Um, The the killer was uh, Michael Ironside. And, you know, we see him straight away from the start of the movie. He's just this kind of perverted son who's got this father and he's kind of... Uh, annoyed at this newspaper, at this, at this journalist because of an article she's done about um, a, a domestic abuse, and, and so he goes on a rampage. Yeah, the film's okay. I think it's more of just a conventional thriller than a slasher. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's your honorable mentions better than mine. I was going to put, uh, you know, Kersey from uh, Death Wish. It's going to put Charles Bronson vigilante. On. Yeah. <laughs> Those poor rapists, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the other movie that I watched, which I was hoping to to um, include within this episode, was Road Games. Yeah. The um, the Richard Franklin um, Australian movie from I think it was about 1981. Stacy Keach is great in that movie. Yeah. And he's kind of. Uh, this truck driver who's convinced that this he knows who's killing all these women, this kind of necktie murderer. Jamie Lee Curtis is in it as well. Again, didn't strike me as really being a slasher film. I, I, it's a great movie, and, and Stacey Keach does a hell of a job as this kind of truck driver keeping the movie going for uh, 90 minutes with his relationship with his dingo. I enjoyed it, but... I didn't feel it warranted a place on this list along with Visiting Hours. Two decent movies that that were close but no cigar. Yeah, and then um, I I think you and I both have five movies that if anyone wants to look at slashers, um, certainly everyone's going to look at Freddy, Michael, and and Jason as as the king of slashers of all time. I think, you know, I was going to put them on my list, uh, but we mentioned them quite often. If they're going to get into slashers, is you got to start with Norman Bates. You got to start mm. with Psycho. That's yeah. that's the granddaddy. That's the blueprint of everything. And once you're done watching Psycho, watch all of our movies. <laughs> 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 the movies we discussed, and you'll see why. You know, <laughs> Darren and I are so messed up. <laughs> okay, so what's next? We have next week Predator. We're going to do an episode on Predator. You and I are not going to shut up, are we? (laughs) We'll do Predator. I'd maybe touch on some of those kind of ropey sequels as well. Um, How many have they been now? So we have Predator, The Predator, Predator 2, Predators. Uh, And you got the AVPs. And then two AVPs. So that's six. 
Yeah. We can't do six. We're, we're mainly going to focus on the first one, I think. Pre- the Predators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we should call them all now. The original John McTiernan, 1987, Arnold Schwarzenegger, classic. Classic. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. All right, so we'll see everybody then. And as always, stick to the roads. And the best of luck. <laughs> <laughs>